Welcome, oh listener, to another episode of Spam, Spam, Spam Humbug. This is episode 153 of the podcast. Yes, we're still alive. That's all I'm going to say. We missed like all of August, most of July. Like this, this has just not been a good year in terms of getting podcast episodes to you on a regular basis. And I apologize for that. But we are still alive. And as evidence, I present you... Well, okay, the planned topic was, at least the one that I had in my head, was not Activision Blizzard, but we wound up talking about it anyways. Harmony Dragon was really uh, quite keen on discussing it, and I mean, it was a fairly good discussion overall, although I have to admit that between the issues with the bot and sort of my own mental state at the time, I was just not focused at all when we did this. Um, There's audio qualities in the episode. I apologize for that. We're looking into new recording technologies. I think I may have found one that actually will work for us. And it is kind of some rougher material because if you've been following the gaming news around Activision Blizzard, you know the accusations that have been leveled against current and former developers there, what went on in and behind the scenes. It's a mess. It really is. So possible trigger warning, I guess, ahead of the episode. Maybe give this one a skip if allegations and discussions of that matter are not your bag. And I can totally understand why they wouldn't be. We do also talk a little bit about Genshin Impact and some other games, but again, maybe just give the episode a pass if you don't want to deal with the heavier stuff. As always, of course, this episode of the podcast is brought to you by our Patreon backers who keep hanging on even though this has just been an absolutely crap year for actually producing podcast content. Patreon.com slash Ultima Codex if you want to join that determined and great crew that I'm just so grateful for, for again, continuing to hang on even though we haven't been the best at delivering content. Thank you to everyone who supports the podcast and the Codex by that means, and especially our producers, co-producers, Seth, Golden Flame, Dominic, Violation, Helgriff, Gronk, Pascal, and Thorwan. Okay, let's get on with the show. So there's been some real major news going on in the gaming news the last month. <laughs> well, uh, do you mean Blizzard or? <laughs> well, it's not just Blizzard, it's Activision in general, but yeah. Yeah, I, yes. <laughs> I, <laughs> I mean, I've, it's kind of, you know, it's funny actually, because like I was, um, I was talking to someone not too long ago who uh, was very much a, uh, like, I guess he worked at Blizzard, like, I don't know, maybe 20 years ago. And, you know, it was, um, he was saying that, you know, oh yeah, like all this stuff that's coming out now, like we all knew about that even then. I'm not in the least bit surprised. No. And I mean, like, this is not, you know, it's, it's again, like I ended up in a, actually another conversation. I know a lot of people who like work at or used to work at Blizzard. Um, kind of funny actually but uh and like so i've heard variations on this story before and over the years too but then like too like you know i think about (laughs) again some of the inside stuff that i'm privy to at origin uh vis-a-vis the archives there and uh you know like i they (laughs) there's a lot of the same uh there a lot of the same stories come out of that because like i mean (laughs) i don't know if origin was quite that bad but like uh, um, but like, I mean, I've seen a lot of the, like, I've seen the liquor budget. I know how that, how expensive that got. And I'm pretty sure that there were a lot of wild parties that took place 
there as well that we just, you know, maybe in the fandom either heard about or, you know, like it was never uh, uh, something that came to light for us. I'm not sure, but like I kind of suspect that that uh, there's been <laughs> that a lot of the big studios of yesteryear and today have these stories as well. And I don't know. I just... I've By worked the- my share of office jobs in my life, and I can tell you, whenever bad news is made public, it never fails that whatever whatever happened that you don't hear about is always going to be worse. Yes. And, and, and I mean, like, again, it's just sort of like... I, I, I honestly admit that by the time the news... like. I think because maybe it has happened so many times before, we've heard about it in so many other places before that, sorry, I'm trying to, (laughs) I was thinking about something completely different. So I'm trying not to, I'm trying to like form thoughts as I'm talking here. So I apologize for pauses and whatever else, but I guess just like by the time it broke for blizzard, it was kind of like a, at least for me, it was like a, Oh, well, of course them too. You know, um, I'm, you know, we've heard about this kind of stuff at so many other companies um, and not just in America, right? Like, you know, there's been allegations at Ubisoft and there's been, you know, allegations at a lot of other places too. Um, so the news breaks about Activision Blizzard and it's like, yeah, okay, I can see it. Um, <laughs> it doesn't even come as a surprise, you know, it's like, oh well, yeah, of course them too, because of course them too. And what Why would people it don't not happen there? And here's the thing. People hear Activision Blizzard and think just Blizzard. No, this kind of stuff has been happening across Activision. Yeah, so you're talking, because that's other studios too, right? Like you're talking like the Treyarchs and whatever else. Um, right, King, freaking Activision proper. Yep. So, yeah, like it's... <laughs> and what gets me is the recent news coming out that they were destroying documents. <laughs> that's always a good sign, right? People only oh. ever have no intentions when they do that. <laughs> and... Somebody I know who works law as much as said the reason they did that was because they figured that the fines and punishments for destroying the evidence are going to be worse than what they would have, or sorry, are are not going to be as bad as what was actually in that evidence. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, again, like, I, thankfully, I don't have to deal with this area of law, but you see that, like, you know, in cybersecurity, right? If there's, like, regulations that companies have to comply with, and for whatever reason they've been not complying with them. Um, depending on the scope of the violation, depending on which industry you're in. Yeah. Sometimes taking the hit for destroying records that you were supposed to retain is a lot more financially palatable than taking the hit for, you know, the thing that you actually did in the way that you did it. That's just a little bit messed up in my opinion. Mm, For sure. And, but these are things that need to be solved in law, right? Right. You know, I mean, it's not that, you know, it's not that the law is inadequate. Well, maybe that's the wrong word. It's not that these law, you know, it's not that the law isn't, it's not that there's not laws that apply here, right? It's just that how the different bits and pieces of law that pertain in this situation have been set up. There's, you know, there's just this vulgarity, if you will, of, you know, how it's, oh yeah, shoot, it is cheaper to just take the hit on a, you know, bit of legal non-compliance versus this other thing, right? I don't know what the solution there is, but, you know, again, it's not that, you know, the law isn't covering this. It's just that the way the law is covering this currently allows for this kind of abuse. 
And so there's, you know, there's adjustments that need to be made there. <laughs> in controls, we call it tuning. Your delta variable is a little bit too crazy right now. You got to rein that in. Well, what little bit of I know of math, delta generally tends to be change. Yeah, it's, and that's, you know, <laughs> again, like I'm, I'm making a comparison to systems tuning, right? And in systems tuning, the idea is that, you know, you ramp up your voltage and you kind of overshoot and then, so you got to bring it back down, but then you undershoot, and then you kind of, eventually it levels out, right? Um, I mean, this happens, every, every binary signal has this, right? It's actually not a perfect square wave. There's always a little bit of wiggle right at the start. Um, so it's just a question of how quickly you can get that delta down to zero as possible. Like I say, it's not a perfect analogy, but you know, it's like basically we're, there's more tuning needed, right? You have an imperfect system that has a lot of issues in it. So tuning is required, right? The laws need to be adjusted so that, and like, I, like I say, I don't know what that looks like because law is something that I try and stay at least arm's length from as much as I can. But I mean, like, you know, and I mean, like we have to be careful too, because we don't want to wade into presumption of guilt territory. Um, and because, you know, both in Canada and the U S you're looking at, you know, a, <laughs> uh, significant constitutional, you know, you're, you're upending a constitutional principle at that point. And I mean, there are times, yes, when the presumption of innocence until proven guilty and, you know, the inability to prove someone guilty to the satisfaction of a court or a jury of the peers, there are times when that does mean that a guilty person walks, but there is a reason that that legal principle exists. And that is because, you know, when you dial it back to like the times of the Magna Carta and what came before, um, if somebody with a crown on their head said you were guilty, that was the end exactly, of it. Exactly. You know, and, and even today, like we see regimes that exist where the presumption of innocence is a totally alien concept. It doesn't exist. And we know what that looks like. And as bad as what we have is that a guilty person does occasionally go free um, because we cannot prove their guilt to a satisfactory standard. Um, the alternatives, which again, we have seen historically and which continue to exist to this day, are actually worse. <laughs> um, so, you know, again, I don't want to wade into like presumption of guilt territory, but certainly there is something to be said for, you know, all right, cool. Well, like if you are destroying records in this case, then we're going to make the destruction of those records at least as financially prohibitive as the thing that what you would otherwise have been charged with could potentially be. But again, that's my, you know, sort of back of the envelope, uh, and <laughs> I've also, I've also had it said again by a medic, by a legal person who's in my Saturday night D and D group that just, uh, that just because records aren't there doesn't mean that they were necessarily shredded immediately, but that they might've been, you know, getting rid of old records before, you know, before the legally mandated retention time, which itself is still illegal. Yeah, for just sure. less active. Yeah. And I mean, it's, as long I mean, as like, cons consistent with your operation. I worked in the records department for an insurance company for 18 years. As long as you can prove that you, your behavior has been consistent with your records destruction shouldn't be a problem it, when you start doing things out of the ordinary that it, it, it will just assume right off the bat that you're just trying to hide something 
Yeah, and that's the thing, right? Because it that speaks to intent, right? And I mean, like, mm-hmm. intent is, of course, you know, I mean, intent is a significant portion of, you know, how we um, define morality, ethicality, and legality, right? Um, so, you know, yeah, if you're, even if you're destroying documents ahead of the legally mandated retention expiry, if that is a consistent thing, that's right? Bad. Right? <laughs> that's bad. Yeah, I mean, it's bad. It's definitely bad. But like you say, if you can demonstrate that it's a consistency, like that, that just mm-hmm. like, like everything is subject to that every year yeah. after all. Yeah. And it applies yeah, equally to all record groups. Then, you know, I mean, it's still bad, right? But it, mm-hmm. the consistency speaks to the fact that there's no malign intent behind it. It's just, you know what? Well, crap, we're out of shelf space. <laughs> um, Criminal negligence is still negligence. It is, mm-hmm. it is. But again, it, you know, comes to the intent, you know, versus it's the intent behind it, right? You know, if it's just, well, shoot, like, okay, whoops, 17 years instead of 18 years. Okay. Whoops. Sorry. Um, but if it applies consistently across the board, that does speak to the fact that, you know, yeah, okay. Maybe you're not actually trying to hide something versus, you know, it's like, Hey, what's this suspicious gap in your email records? You know, you have emails from like five years ago and four years ago, but then nothing from like three to one years ago. What's that all about? That's a lot more suspicious. Indeed. Actually, it's funny. Um, there was a, uh, one of the groups that I'm part of on Facebook is all about, um, like, um, it's, it's basically like sun. The idea is it's like things Sun Tzu didn't say in the art of war, but that he might say now if he was writing the art of war in 2021. And one of the ones that came by today was a clean browser history says far more than a full one. And while you're not wrong, <laughs> I also know people who, you know, in data forensics who straight up, who straight up say, you know, better safe than sorry. You know, even if you're not doing anything wrong, it's a safe bet to always, you know, clear your browser history on a daily basis. Right. Uh <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, I guess, yeah, if you're just always in the habit, I guess if you're always in the habit of like using, um, and actually to be fair too, like, you know, just thinking about like some of the process environments I've been in over the years, like I've been in environments before where it was just their policy. Like they had the entire environment virtualized and everything was consistently snapshotted. Um, and apart from a handful of like mission critical systems that they could not have downtime on, um, basically everything had a rotating cycle of revert to snapshot. So essentially it would, you know, you would use the system for a bit and then 24, 48 hours later, it would blank slate and it would be like, you know, it would be a brand new vanilla system that, you know, was like nobody had ever touched it before. Um, that's I mean, how we, that's yeah. exactly how we did things when I worked for a certain, well, it's been seven years. I can say it when I worked for direct TV, for security reasons, we remote desktoped into a virtual environment on their servers. Yep. Uh, and we were required when it came to our own, or we were booting off of read-only uh, thumb drives. Mm. We were required when, when we were first burning that thumb drive that we could only have certain brands, certain sizes. We, you know, They had to be of this very, very short list. I actually had to mail order mine from frickin' Hong Kong. <laughs> wow. They also had all these requirements saying you can't have any wire you can't have any wireless peripherals when you're working from home. 
you know, Wi-Fi is a remote signal and thus can be hacked, you have to have wireless. We don't even want you to have USB if possible. Try to use PS2 peripherals. No, really. Wow. That's, uh, they wanted, it that's gets better. They wanted everybody to have the same exact resolution and everything for the remote desktop. Because it was... It was... You booted off of a BSD thumb drive into a Windows for work groups environment. Ooh, Windows for work groups. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> and it doesn't matter what resolution you had. When you were working, you were going to be at 1024 by 768. Yeah. I, uh, I think that might have been a hard limit within RDP for a good long time. And... Let me tell you, 1024 by 768 on a 42-inch monitor oh. is garish. Oh, Ooh. yeah, that would be painful to look at. And I mentioned that, and they said, well, technically you're using a TV, and that's t a violation. You should be using a proper monitor. I said, it's what I have. Well, we'll let it go, but be careful. Yeah, because, you know, that's the risk. Well, it was part of how they did their tech, their IT was mm. that the first question any or any IT person had when you were having a serious problem was, did you have anything at all that was non-standard? Did you modify anything? Mm. And, if you and if you had anything modified, first you would get written up for that, then they would make you change it back, then they would see if you still had the problem. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's easy to poke fun and laugh at that, but then like realistically too, you know, I mean... I've again, like I work in control systems, and there are some control system vendors uh, who are better than others, and there are some whose you know support people will find like any little thing they can that is outside of what is the established written documented standard, and that's their reason for not helping you, right? Oh, um, and it's, it's what it. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Mm. They wanted you to have. They didn't even want you to have a USB headset. You had to have, or they wanted you to have. One that used standard audio jacks of certain makes and brands. Anything else was seen as not on their a short tech list and thus a potential security violation. Yeah. You also you also had to load or you could only be or you had five minutes from the time you logged in to have or to the remote environment to the time or to the time when you were supposed to clock in to have every single one of your apps loaded and be ready to go. There was no wow. way to do it if you were loading them in order because it would take about seven minutes. So you had to try to load everything at once, but not too much at once because that would bog down the remote environment. Yes, that would, uh, yes. <laughs> and I mean, even today, if, we know what Windows is like when you try and launch five apps at once. And if you tried to log in before five minutes before your clock in time, that was also seen as a security risk. And IT would speak to your boss. I mean, and I gotta admit, like this is something that you know I sort of, I'm kind of, you know, I hear these stories and I hear them a lot and I hear similar stories a lot and like, I, I hate my brain because it goes in two directions at once. On the one hand, I am actually totally, and and this is you know, <laughs> I think this is sort of a larger problem of like my ground uh -huh. philosophy. You know, the stuff that I did to the philosophy and theology and the stuff that I did to keep myself sane while I was getting through engineering. Um, and so I can definitely appreciate how even a patently absurd thing 
can have an internal logical consistency, right? It, it might be dead wrong and even like morally abhorrent, but it can be logically internally consistent. <laughs> um, and so like on the one hand, I hate that, you know, in my brain, I can hear stuff like this and I can understand why these policies might exist and what problems they're even trying to solve for. And then at the same time, you know, the other part of my brain, um, which insists on dwelling in reality, um, uh-huh. is like, and here's all the ways that that will actually wind up being subverted by the users and potentially causing greater harm. Right. Um, and yeah. I should mention I wasn't actually working for DirecTV. I was working for an outsourcer. Right. And I felt bad for our Canadian coworkers because, in fact, my direct uh, team lead for most of my time at DirecTV was from Nova Scotia. <laughs> One of the benefits of working DirecTV was that you got free DirecTV for your time there. Their best program with all of the with all of the bells and whistles and doodads. Not for our Canadian workers because y'all don't have DirecTV service up there, or you didn't then at least. Uh, that sounds right. And we're, for, we're still, I don't think there was any kind of compensation to make up for not getting that benefit for our Canadian co-workers. Mm. Yeah. And I mean, like, that's the thing that, that's the thing that continues to exist to this day. Like I was just looking at, there's this cool app that I saw, I can't remember the name of it, but it's like basically, you know, um, like it, it's sort of like how parents can, like it's an app for parents and their kids. And like, it's all about, you know, sort of teaching your kids, like the rudiments of, of budgeting and income and all of that stuff and, and financial management, uh, which I mean, like we should be teaching kids. Like <laughs> right. my parents did not do a good job of that with me. Fortunately, my wife's parents did with her. So, um, it's based on the American economy, isn't it? Well, it's just not available in Canada. Right. Ah, I could get around the economy. I could get around like l- little differences here and there. Um, it's just not available in Canada. And that frustrates me to no end. Mail order is a thing, man. Well, no, but this is an app. This is an iOS app and an Android app. It's just not, it's geo-locked out of Canada. Oh, oh, well, VPNs. Yeah. And I could do Do you really want to, do you really want to give your kids a tool to circumvent IP locking? (laughs) Well, so admittedly, (laughs) I, uh, I told you about my kid and the uh, school Wi-Fi. (laughs) Um, I know this is already going to be golden. Well, it's, I mean, I don't know how golden it is, but like, you know, um, the school allows Wi-Fi access, obviously, because, you know, all uh, this is, I mean, even at the elementary school, right? Grade four and up use Chromebooks. Um, but at the junior high, of course, it's a whole nother level. And like, especially as a result of the pandemic, um, my daughter had heard of discord before grade seven, but didn't really care. Oh dear. You know, didn't really care, but with the pandemic and, you know, everybody being forced home for, uh, I mean, she did most of her grade seven year in person, but there were a couple of times where they had to do stints at home, like basically when the waves were cresting here. Um, so like all of November and part of December, she was home. And then again in the springtime. So discord emerged as basically the social side channel. And I mean, I know Discord can kind of be the, you know, Discord servers can kind of be the untamed Wild West. And fortunately, we've already, no fortunately, we've already fostered a relationship with all of our kids. They will come to us. Like if people are, 
doing stuff that they're not comfortable with, they will come to us and they'll let us know and that's, we'll counsel That's them. good. Yeah. So like, and then there's been a few times where she's come to us with like stuff that's happening on Discord and we're just like, well, you know what? Okay. Let's just mute that part of the server or sometimes, you know, just, you know, just quit that server. Like, it's fine. You can talk to your friends over on this server. I don't know why they keep spinning up servers, but you know, it's like just another channel dudes. Come on. <laughs> um, but whatever. The thing is, of course, like initially the school had sort of a more permissive view towards this. Um, they allowed a few different means of like students chatting with each other, but then over the year, they sort of, you know, been tightening it and they've been tightening it in a few ways. Like if it's a Google based service, of course, because they're using Google for ed like Google education, um, they can individually prune functionality out of different Google apps, right? So like Google Hangouts initially used to be kind of wide open and then they were able to like prune out the video calling component, but leave the audio and text chat component. And then they could prune out the audio component. And I know Google is also simultaneously trying to kill Hangouts, but they were able to individually, like as a school district, prune that functionality out. Um, I really wish Google would give us that level of controls with the family link stuff, but that's a different question. Um, so, as, and, and then of course, you know, they started doing other stuff. Like they started trying to do, they started trying to block discord, uh, and things like that. But of course, you know, me, um, I kind of, I'm in cybersecurity you language. Helped kid, you helped your kid freak your, uh, their school Wi-Fi, didn't you? Okay. So. I'm mostly on the blue team these days when it comes to cybersecurity, but I have moments of purple. You know, I guess you could say that in purple, I'm stunning. Um, Babylon five joke for those of you playing at home. And so, yeah, like, you know, they would like, she's like, ah, discord stopped working today. I'm just like, really? Hmm. Okay. Tell me exactly what happened. I will it. be right back. Ma, I need to yeah. go get my mother's leftovers and put them in the refrigerator. Ah, an important, important task. Godspeed. It's more, it's more a matter of my mother got up hungry and wanted something to eat. And hey, well, you don't have to yeah. explain anything. Let me tell you about my father-in-law. <laughs> well, you've got a 12-year-old kid you're taking care of. I've got a 76-year-old one. Yeah, for sure. But I will be right back. Carry on. Not too many, not too many of us tonight. Nah, it's a quiet one tonight. Hey, I've been liking what you've been doing with the paradox. I really got to get some news up on the codex. Yeah, I'm, uh, I was just telling Harmony uh, early when we started the work I did with Rebirth and why I wanted to do something different. And currently, I have organized the quests into six main categories. I finished the first one. I'm in the middle of the second one. And this one is the, the whole googly eyes. Uh, <laughs> so as you can see, I'm trying to create... Now, can you pronounce her name for me uh, properly? Because I couldn't tell if it was Galara or Galara. Or I think she goes by Galara. Because uh, I thought that sounded a lot better than I was saying. <laughs> yeah, I believe this Galara girl, is the preferred pronunciation. She gave me specific instructions on her look. So I'm trying to put that together. So I, I have a, a, an NPC who will do the lead-in for Googly Eyes. So he's, he's hanging out on the second level. He mm. wants to uh, <clears throat> put up this barrier. So as a teachable moment, he, he's going to give you this pouch. The pouches will eventually contain Googly Eyes. And yes. I am back. <laughs> nice. We're just hearing about Googly Eyes in uh, Sorry Paradox. Yes. So it, uh, Galara will be 
the one who finally gives you your first set of Google AIs. It's a teachable moment. This other NPC will, will give you a mixture that he creates. He's the chief alchemist for Mondain. You use this pouch to get past the barrier. Say, okay, so these eyes seem to have some sort of transformative power. The googly eyes in my head, <clears throat> what I'm going to use it for is if you slap it on certain areas of the dungeon, will create uh, gaps in the floor, basically pits that you'll find in the Kelba, which will lead you into the whole subroutine where you have to fight these monsters. Just completely random. <laughs> Not really related to the story, but it gives you something to do. Eventually, I was thinking of a big boss mimic. In order to get more of these googly eyes, you have to find mimics. That's where the googly eyes are located. So, I guess I'm, I'm so glad those became loot. Treasure hunter. I'm sorry. I am so glad that those became loot. So, I, I managed to create the. Uh, well, as you can see, on the picture I put up. Oh, where is it? In the recording schedule, I put googly eyes on my my uh, icon. Yeah, I saw that. What looks like? <laughs> I said, ah, I, I have the resource. I now have the props. I just now have to put it somewhere. To show up. I'm sorry I went on the tangent about where I used to work, but <sighs> no, no, I no, have good. to say I I am enjoying hearing you talking about making your game. Uh, how do I pronounce that? Melavir? Uh, Melavir Sawin. It, the first part is Gargish, so it's, it should really be hyphenated, but I kind of didn't realize that when I made it. It's Mel, which is black, Veer, which is blackbird. So it's Mel, Avir, and then Samhain is Gaelic, so that's why it's pronounced that way. So in a way, it's, a, it's a, uh, an allusion to Ultima 9. You have Samhain and Raven. So Samhain oh. in Gaelic is Samhain. I'm I'm engaged to a very, very witchy lady, that much I am familiar with. Ah, okay. So, Melavir Samhain means Blackbird of the Dark Night, which is what Samhain means. So, uh, that was an allusion to my second, one of my secondary characters, Nightbird. So, it, it all kind of connects there. So, it was my, my props to her. I, I included that in the game. I included that in Rebirth, and I included that here. Part of what, and that all comes from my my experience when I first played Ultima Three on the Commodore sixty four or one twenty eight, where if anyone dies, it's permanent. You have to you, if I was smart enough, go to a healer and resurrect her, which I didn't do because I didn't. I was so freaked out when she died. <laughs> I was in the bottom of a dungeon. She died. I'm like, Ugh. I quickly turned off the power, thinking that it, it wouldn't save. But when I turned it back on, she was gone. I'm like, oh, that's that's just grand. So that, that, that whole experience has stayed with me. And it was Balrons who had killed her in this battle. And of course, Balrons ended up becoming Erethian had mentioned that they're gargoyles. So I, right. I think that I'm going to kill every Balron I ever see from here on out. And oh, guess what? They're gargoyles. I'm going to kill every gargoyle there are. And then Ultima Six came out. I'm like, this is amazing. So it, there's this whole consistency throughout the saga that, that I have a personal experience with. So eventually it was like a, uh, Ultima 6 became a, a quest of forgiveness. I'm like, all right, I'm going to forgive them for what they did because they had their own reasons for doing what they did. So that, that's why I included Nightbird in the, in the game. Well, I have to admit a bit of jealousy that you had that, that overarching feel between the games because my experience with the Ultima series was bouncing way, way around. 
I started with the NES 3. Then when I got to college, a friend of mine had one of those big, you know, multiple games on the CD packs from, mm. uh, from I forgot who, but it had uh, Shadowcaster on it. It had oh. base, Core U7, Core uh, Wing Commander 2. So that was my first experience with Wing Commander 2 was that. And having to try to remember what I looked up in the PDF of the cheat sheet of copy protect codes intrinsic and failing more often than not until I wrote them down for myself. Yes, I will admit when I was in high, when I was in college, I was a dirty pirate, but I did buy multiple copies of the game since then to make it right. You know, for as much and as we for, lambast the soda kicks, uh, for as much as we lambast soda now, I always liked the little penance option in the Kickstarter. Right. I thought that was cheeky. And then from there, I ended up getting a pack in, in a, on a demo disc in a, in a magazine when I was in the Army in 97. At the PX, I got a demo disc that had U4 on it. And not long after that, I got the Ultima Collection. So I've my bouncing around the series went U3, U7, U4, U1, 2. Then my brain started hurting. So I have to say, I'm more of a fan of the early Ultimas 1, 2, 3, and 4 than I am of the later games. But personal taste. The first time I played Ultima 6, I uh, killed Belem the first time I saw him. Oops. (laughs) Belem, a wise person, I believe. Yeah, the wise one. Oh, the uh, bear is uh, uh, just one. Oh, just one. The justice mantra. Uh, what what uh, platform was that? Was that the PC or uh... that was the PC version? Uh, so you could just restore it. Uh, yeah, but by the time that I realized what I'd done, I'd already saved. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Oops. Yeah, well, on occasion when you're playing with floppy five five point two five discs, you really are. Uh, you're you're you have to be very careful with those because if you ever save to the master disc, you're doomed. Is the master? You have to make copies of the master disc for playing games. Yes. It just it made a really big bad boo boo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> things like, things did not go well. So I was just uh, fooling around with these googly eyes. I just was curious what they would look like on a on a purse. <laughs> just I'm cracking. I'm just looking at it. Can you guys see what I'm doing with the uh, in the editor? Or is it blanked out? I can't, but. Then again, okay. if I turn my head, maybe I can. I I see that you're streaming something, but I don't see where you're streaming. Oh, you're live in our chat. Let me pull that up. Now I can see what you're doing. Yeah, I've been messing around. I've been playing, and now I've been editing the whole time while you guys Whoa. have been talking. Is that a oh, hell of that... googly eyes, or does that person have googly eyes? Uh, the googly eyes are are separate, so let's just turn those off. I can turn the helmet off. This is... Uh... That picture reminds me vaguely of, well, not quite soda. The graphics are better than soda. Oh, (laughs) well, it is Unreal Engine. But it reminds me of something I've seen before. I was was saying I was creating Galara, and uh, Chizar signed her as the treasure hunter. So she's looking for treasure. This This is an actual real treasure chest. So when you meet her, she's going to teach you to go look for actual mimics 
which are a little couple levels down below. But she's going to give you a, your first pair of googly eyes. So I was just wanting to see what they'd actually look like. In Hellgraph? Well, I'm more or less driving, so I'll be more listening than talking. You do sound uh, somewhat tinnier than usual. Well, that's because I'm using my phone for this rather than my dedicated home equipment. Indeed. We were just... Uh, so you can't see, of course, what... Uh, what Melavir has wrought, but he's showing us some stuff from his uh, Cesarian Paradox. And it's very Cran-inspired. It's a character avatar with uh, the googliest of googly eyes I've ever seen. I'm sure she would approve. Yes. Uh, this, she gave yes. me instructions on what her NPC should be like. She gave just me some ideas as to what Screenshot that right about. now. Like, whatever you got like right now, just screenshot that. Yeah, yes. That right there. Make yeah, put that in an image. I will post that to her on her on her Twitch stream because she's live right now. Yeah, just that right <laughs> there. Oh, this is that. Damn. <laughs> and, and then also put it in the spam 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 humbug chat so Hellgraph can look back to you later. <laughs> so today is the twenty seventh. Turn that off. Go back into here. So first place, upload file. Where is it right? Alright, so it's in the recording schedule. Thank you kindly. Tell her this is just the beginning. I, I will I will I will fully equip her with a, a complete set of magic armor. Mimics and dancing demons are probably the toughest and uh, monsters you'll find in the game. You gotta be you have to have good weapons and good armor to I mean you can outrun it, which is pretty easy, but the whole idea is you do need the Google ass, so you do need to kill it. Anyway, carry on, guys. <laughs> awesome. I'm not laughing my brains out. Nice. No, that should be so good. My job is I have to attach these pieces of armor to her body. So I need a, a mesh costume and an animation controller so that they actually stay with her. And the, the different folders, like the head, I need to actually call it head so it stays to her head and not anywhere else. Yeah. In case in the future, if I ever wanted to move, at least the armor will move with her. I did a little bit of that with the, uh, the gargoyle, uh, Prince Draxanusum. I, you know, like I like core for this, right? Because it's like my kids dabbled with Roblox for a bit, but it kind of quickly fizzled with them. But like, I like the idea of core because, like, it's it takes some of the harder stuff in doing like pro, you know fan project or game dev away. But like, there's still enough that you have to wrestle with to really do it well. Um, um. And I sit here as the person who learned basic back in the 80s and 90s and see everything, all the brilliant stuff everybody, even in this group chat right here, are, do, are, are building. It's so beyond what I know I was capable of back in the day. Though, I can't help but think even back in the 80s and 90s, we had a problem with bloke, code bloke. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, and like and it's that funny. Was... Oh, sorry. After go you, on. I'm sorry. No, no, no. After go. You. Well, I was, well, was going gonna... to. Yeah. No, you, you. Sorry. <laughs> I just remember being of a time when I had known to where I was comfortable with GWQ Basic. Mm. And I was going to college from that base to learn C++ in my freshman year. Mm. 
And it was like a it was like going from English to ancient Greek. Because mm. our teacher, our professor, kept saying, I want you to write exactly this, exactly this, exactly this. And I said, well, sir, what does that do? You don't need to know that yet. <laughs> Pretty damn sure I do. <laughs> Are you sure I'm not learning if that's the case? Yeah, I went from Pascal to Java in university. That sucked. Um, no, I was going to say, I was, um, I, I had a, in, well, I don't know how much I want to tip my hand here. Um, I, uh, I was listening to a podcast a while back, um, where it was, you know, someone discussing like the companies like Google, of course, have, you know, sort of a reputation for those ball busting, um, you know, code heavy technical exams. Right. And the point that the person on the podcast was making was that it's like, you know what? The trick to not getting psyched out about that is to, you know, like, yeah, sure. Like maybe they challenge you to, you know, develop a program to whatever you're doing. Um, doesn't really matter, you know, um, uh, whatever the program is that they're asking you to do, you know, maybe you need to put a sort in it at some point. Um, okay, fine. Great. Good. You need to put a sort in it. Um, don't worry too much about exactly what kind of sort you use, right? Maybe all you can think in the moment to code is, you know, just, uh, just a standard, like linear sort, uh, you know, maybe it would be more effective to use some other sorting techniques, but you just, you can't quite think of the code right now. And all you've got is just like a straight up, like bubble sort or something like that. Um, put it in the code, put a comment, you know what? I know this is not the most efficient sort. Uh, and the important part is I need to implement a sort right now. And, you know, I can go back later and refactor the program to use a more efficient sorting method. Um, shoot, I had a point here and I don't know where I was going with it. But like, basically, like, that's kind of, I don't know. Shoot, I had a point. I don't know what the point was. I think it's just... Like, sounds like optimization. Yeah, well, I mean, it comes down to just like not getting horrendously, I guess, psyched out by... Um, you know, buy the tech. Just like, you know what, fine. Maybe I don't have the most efficient solution right now. But I can still build a thing and I can worry about the efficiency aspect later. Now, granted, sometimes that doesn't work. See, for example, um, <laughs> I don't know if any of you heard of what was happening with Amazon's, um, they have that MMO called New World. Oh, I've heard that it's good, but that it's unoptimized as all hell. Yeah, it was frying 30, I think it was 3060s or 3080s, uh, certain ones from, I think, MSI. <laughs> oh, uh, like, and, and literally, like, not even, like, you know, after gameplay, like, you would literally just, like, launch the, the game and the menu screen and your card would, like, brick itself. Well, I've seen games brick a uh, brick uh, video card before, but... I've also seen the company straight up say, that's not our problem. We're not having any problems with it. It's, it's all our, there's no problem here. What are you talking about? Oh yeah. And I mean, that does indeed happen. Um, well, and I mean, even Shroud of the Avatar, again, you know, we like to make fun of it. So let's make fun of it. Um, Wait, you might conjure somebody. <laughs> well, that's fine. I'm fine with that. <laughs> He's been absent for far too long anyways. Anything um, bigger than your own head. Yeah, but you know, like it—it it has had moments, definitely, where um, 
<laughs> the lack of optimization was oh, horrifically apparent. Um, there's no way a game that looks like Shroud does should, you know, make even... And granted, my GTX 960 is quite aged. But there's no way that a game that, you know, looks like Shroud does should make the 960 stagger. Well, I wasn't just making the nine, my 960 because I have the same. I had the same exact video card in my old Alienware. It was making the the the, the screen in Ardora swig out anywhere near the moon towers with like weird Dayglo disco shit in the in the sky. I showed pictures of it before. Yep, and it's like all right. Actually, going through my old screenshots to try to find the the Dayglow uh, bugged out sky. Oh, sorry for making you relive that. <laughs> Here we go. Copy and warning: Here there be dragons. More dragons. Okay, let me see if I can try to find a way to get this on a. Come on, you. Make sure. Here we go. Oh, wait, how the... Oh, wait, that's... There we go. That is some bold use of purple, Millibear. Uh, well, uh, purple is... Off of my shared files there. Oh, linkage. Oh, wow. That's horrible. <laughs> and what's weird is that's only... If I move, that would be like rotating and shit. That's only like that because I was standing stock still. And it only happened in Ardorus near the Moon Towers. Ooh. That's bizarre. But then Seems there's a lot about the game. That... Now, if it wasn't for that and the fact that the longer you played that game, the worse it performed, I really enjoyed the state that the game was in at the time. Big statement on at the time. <laughs> I remember being jumpy when I first played, but I was on a much slower computer at the time. And I, what I'm doing now, I'm like, I, I can't play this right now. <laughs> I got other things to do. I wonder what it would play like now on this one. It hasn't gotten much better. Oh. It's kind of weird because like every time there's a release, there's sort of like a performance degradation. And then it like gets better with a couple of little like patches and updates that come out. Well, that's because they've got to get, all the, get in all the cash shop models first and bloat the code base. Yeah. Yeah. Models first, then optimize. And then, yeah, like, you know, wait a week and it'll run better. But, uh... Gotta make sure cash money is working. Well, what else do they have these days, really? I feel so bad about that, because that game was a... How do I put it? The epitome of unrealized potential. Hmm. Well, but yes, but let's low. face it, Star Citizen hasn't actually come out yet, so... Are they still going to have that laser triple crossbow in there as part of the crossover Kickstarter thing? Maybe. I mean, I wonder how point, many people even remember that. <laughs> I had forgotten. I'm thinking they're hoping nobody. <laughs> triple crossbow. What do you? What crack do you smoke? Oh. I'm not. I mean, I don't really have much of a place to judge unrealized potential there. I mean. Given the fact that I have, you know, stacks and stacks of things that I've bought that or have access to that I will ultimately get around to playing someday, I'm sure of it, but haven't yes. actually loaded yet much past the install or boot screen. 
once they once they upload you into the machine consciousness, and you no longer had you no longer you have once again have free time. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Hey, I'm just happy I had a little time to play Genshin Impact tonight. <sighs> I keep wanting to sign on to that game, and I just I don't know somehow the the energy just doesn't come to the fore. Yeah, I mean, it's you know what I've actually did like. I mean, granted, like a big part of it for me is like I picked up this backbone controller for my iPhone, and it's uh, it's it's actually proven to be like the best way to play the game, um, which is weird for me to say because I hate controllers. I've never had a good relationship with them, but it works really really well playing because like it just it snaps around my iPhone. It makes it look like a Nintendo Switch, um, and I just you know I can. Maybe sneak an hour here and there <laughs> some nights. It's, it's it's actually pretty good. I can appreciate that, but there are some games where I just have to be playing it with a controller in my hand, otherwise it just doesn't feel right. Mm. Well, like I said, I play it on PC too, but it's the, the keyboard scheme is not so great on PC. It actually works really, really well with a controller, but it's a fun game. You know, like, I mean, the, the comparisons to Zelda Breath of the Wild are immediate and obvious, but yeah. it's... it's Right now, I'd be playing it on my phone, and I'm not sure how well the swipe interface. Oh. I preferred Breath of the Wild back when it was called Skyrim, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I, I mean, to be fair, Genshin Impact actually, like, on a mobile with a touchscreen interface, reasonably playable. I mean, obviously, your fingers are on the screen, so you don't quite have the same visibility. That's why I like the controller. But it oh. does work well as a mobile title. Um, it, it, it's okay as a PC title, too. And I like that I can cross-play. Um, I do hear that they're doing a crossover where you can get the character from Horizon in it soon. Yeah, so actually, I think already, if you're playing it on PlayStation, Alloy, or is it Alloy or Aloy, she might be available to you already. Uh, no, no, I'm wrong. Um, but only just. She drops in a few days. So I think for PlayStation 4 and 5 players of Genshin Impact, you get her with version 2.1 of the game, which is slated to launch in early September. And then for PC and iOS and Android players, you get her with 2.2. Which is, I, I don't know when that's dropping, maybe next quarter. But uh, yeah, she's, uh, for PlayStation players at least, she's going to be coming out uh, really quite soon here. And it will be nice to, and apparently everybody gets her, and it will be nice, I have to admit, when I I finally get her. Actually, I do have Genshin Impact on the PlayStation now that I think about it. Uh, uh, she'll be a good ad for my kids' party. Is it free to play? It is. Um, but so of course, Sony being Sony, like she comes to PlayStation first because Horizon is. <laughs> um, so, uh, and like my kids have, I, I set my kids up to play it as well. My my eldest daughter, some of her friends are really into anime, and so like she's kind of taking a few steps in that direction, but not like really seriously but um she likes like she likes playing genshin impact a little bit because like it has that anime kind of style to it and so she uh she plays it occasionally actually i'll probably sit down with her for a session on sunday but um yeah so she should get alloy actually before i do <laughs> which is good it'll be nice to have an archer in the game who isn't pyro that will be i think a handy thing well there, there, being... there are other archers but they're wish drops so well, given your antipathy for certain games, you've probably got a little bit of glee that you've heard in hearing that due to one of the people being fired from Acta Blizzard, mm. that a certain one of the characters in Overwatch is getting their name changed. Oh, I hadn't even heard that. What's that all about? 
Yeah, because one of the care one of the de- one of the Blizzard devs who was part of the whole Cosby suite thing at one of the BlizzCons. Ugh. Yeah, the less said about that nonsense, the better. Let's move on to the meat. <laughs> well, his Who's name was James McCree. Well, his name was James McCree, and they named one of the you know gunfighter oh, characters in Overwatch yeah, after I, him, McCree. I know who McCree is. You know, I hadn't heard he was getting a name change. And because they don't want to name any characters in the game after employees of Blizzard anymore, for ah. you know, for because of what happened, and I th- think oh, that's not reasons. a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Now, what are they going to call him like McCree? I have no idea, and honestly, I didn't expect McCree. I didn't know that McCree came from that. I thought McCree was an allusion to an old series of light gun games that were, you know, gunfighter stuff back in the nineties. Mad Dog McCree. Ah, uh, that's maybe what I had thought too. But yeah, is they had a Mad Dog McCree set up back in the PX back when I was in basic training at Fort Lost in the Woods. <laughs> oh, jeez. Well, um, Mad it's Dog McCree and it, say again. It's a fair. Fort Lost in the Woods. It's a good name. Yeah. Yes. Well, considering that it's out in the middle of the Ozark nowhere in Missouri. Exactly. Yeah. It is not inaccurately named. <laughs> if anything, it might be a teeny tiny bit on the nose, but only a teeny tiny bit. Now. I found it rather telling that at a military installation, a couple of the two of the major games in the little dinky arcade they had as part of the PX were that and Area Fifty One. <laughs> Let's get them aliens. I don't know who did that, but they had a good sense of humor. <laughs> oh, so there was one story I want to tell talking about corporate shenaniganry. And how companies can be just completely, you know, completely scummy. Well, if we go on this topic, we could be on it, like, for the next three days, at least. This is a personal anecdote. This is something that happened Uh, to me directly. Ah, okay. Now, the outsourcer that I worked for that did did a contracting for DirecTV, they had multiple problems where they weren't paying their work-at-home employees what they were duly owed. They actually got a class action about that. A class action that paid out rather, you know, rather impressively. I got a letter about that about a year and a half after I quit the company saying, you were working for the company during a time period. Would you like to add your name to this class action lawsuit? Ooh. And about a month later, I got a rather nifty check in the mail from, you know, from the, from the law offices. About a couple of days after that, I got a letter from DirecTV saying, we overpaid you to, you know, this pay period to the amount of so-and-so and so-and-such, and we were going to retroactively pull that, you know, pull that from your bank account to make up for the fact that we overpaid you. Have I mentioned that at that point in time, I hadn't worked for DirecTV for a year and a half? Garnish your wages. After that, they were trying to garnish wages for a pay period, at which point I hadn't been working for a year and a half. That is, um, and the, and the amount of money that we're going to garnish my wages for is mysteriously really close to the amount that the class action paid out. Yeah. I wonder how many people they actually successfully scammed on that shit. Yeah. I called their HR about that and asked, uh, 
what uh, you know how I was supposed to file this with my lawyer, and that 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 notice of garnishment just kind of went away because they weren't going to garnish it for my next paycheck. They were going to pull it from their bank account. They were going to go. They were going to jack it out of the bank account and say it was a retroactive garnishment. And I'm thinking, even if they did overpay me, how? What in what world is that legal? Well, like as not, you probably did give them your banking information for a direct deposit, didn't you? Yes, I did. That doesn't make it legal. No, that's not at all. Point. But they would clearly consider leveraging it for use. It's another one of those Canadian-American distinctions. I don't even know if that kind of stuff would fly as much. I mean, I know that they can do like wage garnishments and things like that, but but I don't. And I know clawbacks are can be a thing here, but I imagine that the regulations surrounding oh. it are, are rather different. We have other problems. But once I, but when I pointed out that I hadn't worked for them during the time period that they were wanting to garnish my wages for, and that I had not worked for them for a year and a half, and I had tax paperwork to prove this, and I said, they kind of made their threat of garnishment go away. It wasn't even a threat. It was a notice of, we're going to do this. Indeed. Mary Lehman Sausen. But... Entirely unsurprising, given what I understand, um, especially like American ISPs and TV providers to be like. And what bothers me is this was a company that was working across the across the national boundaries. It was, you know, again, the office, as it were, because we were a work at home. Our group was American and Canadian workers. Like I said, my boss was from Nova Scotia. Indeed. Well. I think I'm going to have to back out because I imagine that my wife is going to be coming to the door here shortly. Just as I not at all what I thought that we would end up talking about. That's okay. It wasn't a bad conversation. Just as I was walking through my front door, you decide. Oh. Well, I feel well. the. So you're saying I have a good excuse to bow out myself now? There you go. I had had this whole thing in my head while I was putting my kids to bed of like talking about <clears throat> the distinction between because like of all the games I played recently, right? I played five. This is record for me. Like I played five games in recent weeks. Let's say the last couple of months. Mass Effect, Mass Effect Two, Mass Effect Three, Mass Effect Andromeda, and Genshin Impact. And so I've had this interesting. About, I'm sorry. You know, what was that last one? Mass Effect, Mass Effect Two, Mass Effect Three, Mass Effect Andromeda, and Genshin Impact. Oh, Genshin Impact. Yeah. So I played all five of these games, and or, well, you know, just. So some degree or another I haven't you know i passed the mass effect trilogy still working on andromeda and genshin impact is not done yet technically um i finally got but, back to mass effect 2 recently actually but i'm just reflecting on this as i was putting my kids to bed thinking about like how you know in mass effect 1 and 2 actually really to a large degree um they're class-based games right you have you know you pick your character class and you work within its limitations and you have the powers and abilities that it has and that's just what you got and then in Mass Effect 3, technically, they have a class system, too. But they let you poke at the edges a little bit because, of course, you can, um, as you earn crewmate loyalty, you can swap out one of your abilities for... Uh, that's in Mass Effect 2 as well. Is it? Yes. I don't remember it as much from you 2. Spend, you spend a certain amount of uh, element zero, and yeah, yeah, you get to choose the list of loyalty powers. Oh. Although, for some reason, Kasumi's uh, power is not on the list. You, you, you can't take her flashbang grenades. You're right. It is in Mass Effect 2. I remember that now. I didn't use it as much in Mass Effect 2, but in Mass Effect 3, I found that I was using it more. So, like, in Mass Effect 1, it's strict class-based. In Mass Effect 2, and then 3, um, you have... Uh, kind of. 
kind of. It, I mean, like I said, I don't want to, you know. In Mass, in Mass Effect 1, if you did the second playthrough, you basically got to, like, steal an, an ability from one of, like, one ability from one of the other classes that you got to add to your your list of things, skills you could advance. That's true. Uh-huh. Um, but that's, you know, new game plus stuff, which is a little bit different than just experiencing the game it, vanilla. It was adding electronics on a guy who was saying, just a straight up soldier. Yeah. Well, y'all like make adding me feel like to the soldier. I played boring as hell because every single time I ever played through Mass Effect 1, 2, or 3, and I've done so at least four times to my knowledge through the whole trilogy, I always played a straight up soldier. I, I always. Play an engineer or, a, or a, the. The ME ME two one, which gives you the cloaking shield and the sniper rifles. Right. Yeah, that's. Oh, I'm straight up soldier as well. I am the forty oh. <laughs> percent. Yeah, I would go straight up soldier and mostly focus on either assault or uh, on assault rifles and sniper rifles. Because I would all because I forgot where I got it, but the version of Mass Effect that I had on my console, I had access to this really, really, really kick ass freaking. Geth, I think it was. It was either Geth or Prothean assault rifle. That you know, once you once you shot the whole clip, it would just refill. There was there was no having to get ammo for it. Yep, it was a so, beam rifle, and it was amazingly good. Nice. From which game? I think it was either two or three. Well, ME two had the collector particle beam, although that had finite ammo. Yeah, everything in Mass Effect that, One had infinite ammo. Uh, that was the collector beam was the heavy weapon. The particle beam was the heavy collector weapon. There were other ones from some of the DLC packs that basically gave you like uh, a collect like a collector plasma rifle and stuff, mm-hmm. but they still they still ran on ammo. It's just uh, they function slightly differently in terms of handling. Yeah, for me it was all about the adrenaline rush ability. Man, I could rock that thing. But anyways, the the thought that I had while I was putting my kids to bed was you know like you have ME one, two, and three, which are mostly class based games, and then you have something like Mass Effect Andromeda, um, which is Really, actually, it's basically just Kingdoms of Amalur Reckonings. <laughs> so, Thank you. I was about to say that. Uh, well, I mean, Timmy designed both of those games, so of course it is. But, uh, and you can swap on the fly, right? Like, you can swap. The, the profiles in Mass Effect Andromeda are equivalent to the destinies in, in Reckoning. Um, Except largely. that in Mass Effect Andromeda, the magical abilities actually work. Well, I, you know what? I can ba-da, use the... Ba-da. I can use the uh, the magical abilities in Amalur fairly well. It's the archery that never worked it for me. But, you know, Mass Effect Andromeda and Genshin Impact are largely class-less games. And so, like, I started teasing out some thoughts on that. We'll have to talk about that another time. For right now, okay. my wife is assuredly on her way home, so I'm going to bow out. And, uh... Right. So, wait, wait. So, now you're saying that... From uh, Craig, so this is not a lost episode. Now, now, now you're saying that Genshin Impact is classless? I've got mixed messages about this game, Ken. <laughs> I mean, yeah, uh, like it's, it's kind of, it's classless, but also with class because like each character, like there's, you know, you have, the characters are bound to a particular weapon type. So you have characters who can use just like a single-handed sword or a double-handed sword or a spears or pole arm or um, archers, right? But, and each character has a single elemental power pyro hydro electro whatever um but you know beyond that it's not like you're really it really like apart from a couple of enemy types which hover high above the ground and so you kind of need an archer to do dps against them apart from those occasional situations the main thing in genshin impact is it doesn't really 
really matter what mix of character it doesn't really matter so much what mix of like characters you have in terms of what weapons they use it's the elemental stuff that matters right it's mixing and matching your elements um i used to have a wrecking ball like i used to have a crew of two that was just a complete wrecking ball because it was a swordsman who had hydro powers and then uh, a two-handed swordswoman who had electro powers and literally i would just flip between the two in any battle sequence and you know you hit a hit an enemy with hydro powers and then hit them with electro powers and they take massive amounts of extra damage well my current party goes even further than that because i dropped the hydro swordsman in favor of a hydro uh hydro magic user she doesn't do a lot of damage but when i activate some of her elemental abilities she does a bit of damage to the enemy and they get you know affected by hydro my entire party heals and then i can flip to the electro character do electro damage which of course then pairs with the hydro does additional damage and then i can flip to the cryo swordsman that i also have and do another hit which at that point i'm actually doing like triple the amount of elemental damage because cryo has reactions with both electro and with hydro so it's um yes i've managed to put together a party that's just like an utter bulldozer for almost every encounter i've been in it's it's really quite edifying to watch how quickly some of these battles go down now well one of these days you're gonna find a monster in that game that absorbs electricity instead of being damaged by it well that's that what my pyro character is for and that first combo hit is going to be like, you have healed the enemy for 9,999 damage. Well, in that case, I just don't use the Electro character at all, but I can still use the Cryo and the Hydro and the Pyro because all of those react with Electro. If you want to join the Ultimate Dragons, you can do so at udic.org, where you can choose your very own dragon name. You can also find the Ultimate Dragons on Facebook. We have a Facebook group there. And you can follow at Ultimate Dragons on Twitter or join them on Discord. And if you're feeling really old school, you can even fire up a Telnet client and check out the Wearmount. Hit up the show notes for links to all of these. If you want to participate more directly in the podcast, you can send us an email. Or if you're feeling a little bit braver, leave us a voice message in one of three places, the podcast website, our Facebook page, or on anchor.fm. And you're also welcome to join us on our Discord server to chat with us, to lurk, or even contribute to podcast recordings when they happen. And again, links in the show notes. If you'd like to support Spam 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 Humbug, you can do so at patreon.com slash ultimacodex, where for as little as a dollar a month, you can get access to episodes the day before they go live to the general public. You'll also get access to behind-the-scenes audio when we have some to share, and possibly other interesting content. But we also welcome your moral support. You can like the Ultima series on Facebook, follow at Ultima Codex on Twitter, or leave the podcast a review on iTunes. And you're also welcome to share our episodes with your friends and social media circles. Spam 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 Humbug is a production of the Ultima Codex. You can find show notes online at spamspamspamhumbug.com. Thank you for listening, and until next time, be virtuous. Be virtuous.